following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Don't believe the lie of your own truth. Truth is usually formed in our minds by what we experience. Truth is usually formed by what we have in our emotions, what we feel, by what we've been taught, by what our culture says. But Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we Americans are so filled with information. I sometimes think I'm going to walk down the street and see someone's head explode. Because they're always on that little phone. And they're looking at the internet and they're Googling everything and they're going through everything. How much information do we need before our minds finally explode? Because there's been no correlation between the technology advances and the morality of America. In other words, all of our technology, technology has not helped us build our families. It's torn our family down. It hasn't removed the, the cynicism from our hearts. It's only increased it. It's only exposed more the wickedness of our culture and not the righteousness of our culture. It drags us off to places that we should not be going, doing things we should not be doing. We need to come to a place where we finally decide in our own minds and our own hearts what is the truth. Not what is a truth. What is the truth. And then begin to align our lives with that truth. And it will mean dropping The lies, even the lies that are our refuge, the places we go to hide because we don't want to face the reality of who Jesus Christ is. So we can be led off to a party or we can be led off to a a social event or a sporting event just this last week. Someone said, Ray, if you'll go with me, I'll buy tickets. There's a big boxing match coming to our area. Tickets are going to run $100 a piece. Do you want to go? Well, in my mind, I'm immediately saying, wow, this is the first time this man has invited me to do anything with him. For the name of Jesus, do I need to go to this boxing match? Are you kidding me? I'm going to go to the devil's ground where I have no voice to speak and sit through this boxing match? No. No. I'm not going to go on the devil's ground. I'm going to claim everywhere I am as the Lord's ground. And I'm going to let Jesus control the venue where the witness and the testimony will take place. 
The fact that there was even a brief hesitation before my no scares me. Because my old self loved boxing. And I loved to box. I loved to fight. I loved the violence. I don't want to go back there. It's a lie. It's not the truth. The truth is peace and joy and oneness in Jesus Christ, not violence. Some of you, I fear, still enjoy reading books that are of utter darkness or going to movies that are utterly shameful. How many murders have you witnessed? How many violent actions have you witnessed? And by witnessing, participated in. And it sears the heart and mind so that when we come to the scriptures, we have no taste for it. In our story of Joseph, he is ripped away from his home. He's sent as a, as a slave. He's purchased by Potiphar. What's going on here? God, the Lord God of heaven has determined after the flood that he needs to birth a nation that will be his people, that will belong to him, through whom he can then birth the Son of God. So God is in the business of birthing for salvation. He's in the business of trying to birth in my life and your life something of value. When you look at who God is, he's always in the birthing process. He's bringing something new out of the darkness that we've created by our choices in turning away from the truth. So the story of Joseph is not a story about Joseph. If you look at the very beginning of the story, it will say, this is the story of Jacob. And then it begins to tell the story of Joseph. Jacob is the direct line. Abraham, he was the father. And then the sons. Jacob, Israel. God wants to birth something out of him. So he produces 12 sons. These 12 sons, now God intends to forge together as a family. But they betray their brother Joseph. And frankly, they had what they would consider valid reasons. Reuben, the eldest goes to bed with one of the wives of his father. Jacob hears about it and takes the birthright away from him and gives it to his eldest son by Rachel. So now this 17-year-old boy is given a special robe to wear. We call it Jacob's coat of many colors. What it literally was was the dress the suit, the clothing that he needed to be an authority over his brothers. And his brothers hated him for it. So now, 
They've gotten rid of their brother. They've sold him into slavery. They've come back and shown dad the torn robe with the blood on it. And he believes that his son has been torn to pieces and executed, killed by an animal. And they see their father's sadness, his grieving, his deep, heartbroken grieving. And they're touched by it. They know that they've done wrong. They know that they betrayed flesh and blood. Now the story of Joseph goes on, but the story of the brothers goes on as well. Judah can't handle it emotionally. He says, I'm out of here. They've all heard the story of possessing the land of Israel, of Canaan. They all know the story. They all know they're supposed to possess all of the land around them. They're the the huge ranch, if you please. And if they stay together, they all get the ranch, the nation. Judah can't handle it. So he leaves. He marries a foreign woman. He has two sons. They're wicked. And God says, I'm cutting them off. And he kills both of the sons and the foreign wife. Now he's alone. Judah's alone. What's he to do but go back to his family? And so he does. God is going to keep these men who love each other and who hate each other. He's going to keep them together because he has to take this seed and he has to plant it in a womb. Let's go way back much earlier. You have... Adam and Eve, they sin against the Lord. They side with the devil. And they're kicked out of their home. Their home is the garden. It's a small area on the earth. The rest of the earth is raw, wild, open country. And their assignment is to create of the earth a garden like the Garden of Eden. They're to subdue, they're to tame, in the Hebrew, they're to tame the whole land. The whole nation is to grow and prosper, the children of Adam. And then at one point, God will bring them in as his son. They eat from the tree of life. But the Lord cannot allow them in their sin to continue eating from that tree of life. And so he sends them out of the garden, away from their home, and he guards the entrance with a powerful angel with a sword. Now from that time forward, all of us have wandered in the earth. And we have each found those places of comfort where we can take refuge Because we are basically homeless in the earth. And then Jesus Christ came. And suddenly men had access once more to the tree of life. And once more, the Garden of Eden was on the earth. Only now it was not called the Garden of Eden. It was called the church. And in the midst of the church, the head of the church is Jesus, who is the tree of life. 
And so now we have all the same assignment that Adam and Eve had, and that is to pull together as a family and let God begin birthing out of us new children. We are called to subdue the earth and to bring it under the lordship of Jesus. I mean, when you begin to see these great themes of Scripture and begin to forget about yourself as an individual, but look at yourself as a part of something that is much more significant than just one individual life. And the family is the building block of that which God wants to birth on the earth. That's why Satan has come with such anger against the family to attempt to destroy it and rip it apart because the family's the basic building block of the church, of everything that God wants to accomplish in the earth. The building block is the family as it belongs to the church. And in the church, we have the awesome presence of Jesus. So he's going to, Satan is going to come against the family and he's going to come against the church. For that's the very object by which God desires to birth salvation and to create a new earth, a new heaven. So this story of Joseph, this story of Jacob is integral to the long term plans that God has in mind for birthing his people. We like to put everything under the microscope and look at the little pieces and say, I like that and I don't like this. We've got to get our eyes on a much broader picture and see what God is attempting to do on the earth and then decide that we will be a part of what God is doing. I've made a vow that I never again will ask God to join me in what I'm doing. Instead, I'm saying, Lord, would you let me join with you in what you're doing? Because what counts is not what I'm doing. What counts is what God is doing. And if I can join him, if I can be a servant to him in accomplishing what he's working on creating in this earth and in this universe, then there will be joy in my heart and healing in my body. And I'll participate with God until my work is finished. And then I get to leave this run-down, broken-down old body. And he takes me and gives me that new, that new body. But please understand, this deal is not about you or me, except that God is birthing something awesome that he wants to bring us into and build us, as the scriptures say, like stones, building one upon another to build the great temple of God. God is building a temple. And I want to be a part of that temple. Joseph doesn't understand what's happening to him. He doesn't understand why it's happening to him. But now, living many years later, we can look back 
And after Jesus, we have the great overarching understanding of what God is trying to accomplish so that we can cooperate with him and participate with him in the work that he's doing in this earth. Is blessed. Everything he does is blessed. You want everything you do to be blessed? Then make sure you're cooperating and doing what God is doing. And that you're not off on your own. And then things are going to probably be very painful. As Bunyan says, you go first up the hill of difficulty. And then you go down into the valley of humility. And you come up out of the valley of humility and then you drop right back down into the valley of the shadow of death. You come up out of the valley of the shadow of death and you're congratulating yourself that you have not died You've been faithful. And he takes you straight into the wilderness. So don't think that having God's blessing means what it means in this world. Having God's blessing means he's going to hammer off the rough edges. He's going to sand you. He's going to put you in the fire. He's going to do all that is necessary that you could be a tool in his hand to accomplish the work that he has, which is the birthing of his bride, the creation of his family. So Joseph has some rough edges, and he has some things he needs to grow up in. So he serves as a slave. He is successful in overcoming the temptation of lust with Potiphar's wife. His reward? Okay, take you out of that machine and put you in another sanding machine called prison. I'm sure Joseph said the same thing I would have been saying. Why am I being sent to prison when I'm innocent? I've done nothing to deserve this. I'm sure he spent many days, if not months and years, feeling sorry for himself and saying, God, why are you doing this to me? Well, if you look at the reality, what he has done is he's put him in an institutional setting and he's teaching Joseph management. Because Joseph can't do what God has in mind for him to do without being educated in the latest philosophies of management and budgeting. So he's basically a businessman in prison, running the prison. And the prison is making a profit because he's very good at what he does. Remember, everything his hands touch blesses while he's in prison. Everything his hand touches while he's working for Potiphar as a slave. I mean, we get this idea that God's blessing means easy times are here and everything is going to go my way. No, the blessing of God, nothing goes your way. Everything goes God's way. You still want God's blessing? Sometimes I've said, Lord, if you hadn't given me eyes to see, I would not want your blessing anymore. But by grace, I see that God's blessing is what carries us through. And the anguish and the pain and the hurt is just the training process. 
Because God is going to come and with incredible power, he is going to birth a people. Some of you have thought and even said to me, revival is impossible in America. The fact that you would think that is the surest sign that God is going to bring revival in America. God specializes in the impossible to birth his child. But I will tell you something that's not in the scriptures, but it's simply my belief. I'm shy to do that, but I will. It's very clear that at the end of time, which is coming now upon us, Matthew 24 says there will be a great proclamation of the gospel just before the close of of earth's history under the devil. I believe that's the revival that he's been speaking to me of. And I believe that many people are going to very rapidly be brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And I think those people will very quickly be martyred for Jesus. I think there will come up against them The government, the authorities, who are utterly given to evil and darkness. And we will see persecution in America like the Christians saw in Rome. And I think those people who have so quickly come to Jesus are going to be blessed by experiencing martyrdom, the testing of their faith. Now, that's not what most of us think when we think of the glory of coming to Jesus We think, oh, now there's peace and joy and everything is going to work out fine for me and all of my business desires are going to work and cash is going to flow and I'm going to have a lifestyle and the blessing of Jesus is on me. No, we're past all of that. We've come to the end of time. And if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you see that today the one world government is arising But that one world government is not going to arise without a great outflowing of the Holy Spirit in opposition to that darkness. And those precious ones who come, and maybe many of us, we will die for the sake of the gospel. The story is told in China that many of the pastors believed in a secret rapture. The missionaries from England and from America. And they told the Chinese people, don't worry about the communist government. They can't take over this nation. We will be raptured before that time of trouble comes. Well, they weren't. And the communist government came in and began an immense persecution Some pastors went to their church to preach and the members rose up and beat them almost to death because they said, you lied to us. Why didn't you tell us the truth? And the organized church of China disappeared and the missionaries were all gone. But the seed of the gospel was in the people's hearts and the great movement of the underground church started in China. Now, there is a public church that is controlled by the government, but it is not a large body like the underground church. So men and women today in China have no illusions. They've been sent to prison. They've been beaten. They've been executed. They've been 
They've been cut open in vans and their organs taken out while they're still alive with no anesthesia. The organs removed and sold to wealthy Europeans so that they could have heart transplants, kidney transplants. That's going on right now in China. But God's people are prospering in China. I don't know of any place on the earth where the power of God is moving like it is in China. With precious people coming to the Lord. And now China is sending its missionaries to Saudi Arabia to be household servants. Men and women with degrees going and working as household servants in Saudi Arabia to bear witness for the gospel, knowing when they go that they will probably die by beheading in Saudi Arabia, in Qatar, in other nations. I'm only sharing this to say to you, please, don't believe the truth of the American lie. It's not the truth. Understand that following Jesus Christ is the most serious decision that you can make. And that it will be life-threatening shortly in America. Understand that when God intends to bring something to pass, it will come to pass. His word is sure. Joseph does not turn against the Lord even though he's in prison. He does not turn against the Lord, although he does try human effort to escape by talking with one of Pharaoh's officers that was put in jail and saying, when you get out, would you please remember me to Pharaoh? And he tries to bypass the chain of authority, and he gets two more years of prison for it from God. But then Pharaoh has a dream. And in that dream, he sees the future. He sees that God is going to bring a famine on the nation. Now, in America, we've never had a famine like this. We had the Dust Bowl, and California is becoming critical. And it looks like this summer we could very easily lose water in several major cities. And perhaps one of the greatest migrations in American history is about to take place as some of the great cities of the West run out of water, as Lake Powell dries up and the water from the Colorado is no longer there. You understand when this famine came, and it came to Jacob and his family of 70-some people, the famine came, and it was life-threatening. They were running out of food. And it looked like they were all going to die. Now, I don't know of anything that will cause us to grow up faster than being faced with our own death. When we know that survival is on the line, we seem to leave our childish ways behind and grow up quickly. One of the reasons we have refused to grow up in America is that We've had an abundance of food and shelter and lifestyle. When the lifestyle's gone, and every month is a struggle just to survive, we tend to grow up rapidly. Finally, 
they have a gathering of the family. And they make the decision that all ten of the brothers should go to Egypt because they have heard that there is food in Egypt. So they take their donkeys. And by the way, their donkeys were as valuable as our pickup trucks today. They were considered of immense value because they were the weight bearers. Later, people would call them the Jericho taxis. They took their donkeys and enough food to survive until they arrived at their destination. When they arrived, there were people from all nations coming to purchase food. Joseph was the governor of the land, and he was the one personally responsible for the sale of food. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, chapter 42 of the book of Genesis, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. Can you imagine the emotion that flooded his soul? I'm sure it was bittersweet. He had no reason not to kill them except they were his brothers. And he was a servant of the Almighty God. But I'm sure there was such rage in his heart, such bitterness rose in his spirit. These are my brothers who sold me into slavery, who cast me off, who betrayed me. How could they have done that to me? All of us are want to be in self-pity. He did not give way to it very much. But he did a little. He spoke harshly to them through an interpreter and threw them in jail. (laughs) Let them have a taste of my medicine. So here the brothers are sitting in prison. Joseph is the big man in Egypt. He has the power of life and death over these men. He can say, execute them, and they're gone. His word is law. And he remembered his dreams. He remembered that his brothers were to come and bow down to him. Those dreams caused Joseph more trouble than anything else in his life. I want to tell you, when God whispers his truth into your soul, it will cause you more trouble than anything else in your life. Because it is a harbinger of the direction God is going and what he's going to do with you. And we would be wise to ask, Jesus, what do you need to do with me to prepare me to do what you have said I'm to do? He said, you are spies. You have come to our land to see where we're unprotected. No, my Lord, they answered, your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. He knows they're liars. They lied on him. Your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and the one is no more. How would you respond if somebody said to you, you're dead. 
You're no more. Joseph answers, it's just as I told you, you're spies. So he took Simeon. He took all of them. He put them in jail. Three days later, he says, Simeon, you stay here. Now, why did he choose Simeon? Because Reuben had come to his defense when his brothers were going to cast him as a slave. As they were going to take his life. Reuben took his side. Simeon was the next brother down. Simeon stayed in jail. All the other brothers took their food and left. They got home and Jacob said, You're not going back. This food will be enough to last us through this famine. We're sorry about Simeon, but I've also lost my son Joseph. We're not going back. Well, they finally came to the end of their food. And they had to go back. And Jacob, let me read it for you. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. They were terrified. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. While in fact, everything was for him. Everything was for him. But everything in the truth of the world that he saw around him was against him. What he doesn't know is that sitting next to Pharaoh on the throne of Egypt is his son Joseph. He doesn't know that truth. He's believing the truth of his own, that Joseph is dead, and that now Simeon is gone, and that everything is hopeless, and he can't do anything, and he might as well just die. He believes everything is against him because he can't see Oh, if if Jacob had only done what he did years before and wrestled with Jesus. He didn't go to the prayer closet to ask about the truth or the lie that he was faced with. He figured he could handle this on his own. If he had just prayed, I think the Lord God of heaven would have told him that his son, Joseph, was still alive and in Egypt. But he believed the lie of his own truth. He believed the lie of this garment that was covered with blood and ripped. He believed the physical evidence. Some of you today are believing the physical evidence that everything is hopeless. You've done too much. You've seen too much. You're going to always be stuck where you are now. And all of that is a lie. The truth is... Jesus lives, and he rules, and he has a plan, and he's executing that plan according to his will. And you have the privilege of eating from the tree of life now. You have the privilege now of cooperating with God in what he's doing. If you'll forget about what you're trying to do and get along with Jesus and do what he wants to do. 
But as long as we seem to have a little success with what we want to do, most of us continue to try to pursue it. And then when it really goes bad, we say, oh, everything's against me. Everything's hopeless. I don't know why this is happening to me. Get with God. Do what he's doing. God has a plan. He's working it out. You're a part of that plan. Now begins the second journey to Egypt. It now says in chapter 43, Israel. Uh Uh-oh. He's now going to be called overcomer. Overcomer asks, why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man we had a brother? Why did you bring this trouble on me? They replied, the man questioned us closely. So he sends them off. And he says, I'm bereaved. I'm bereaved. But now he's back to his old tricks. He gathers together. Remember Esau? Remember he put herds, one herd after another, to send them to Esau to try to buy Esau off. Now he's going to try to buy off this man in Egypt. And so he sends special gifts to him. Pistachio nuts. Myrrh. He gives all the best that he has. He goes back in his little tent and he digs out his precious treasures. And he's going to try to buy this man off. And they head for Egypt. They get to Egypt. And they are directed to, Jake, to Joseph's house. And this terrifies them even more because now they think because the silver was in their sack. I mean, come on. Isn't everything about money? No. It's about God working out his plan. But they think everything's about money. So now they're convinced that because they've gone to the house, it's Joseph's or this ruler's intention to make them all household slaves of his. Armed soldiers surround them pointing the machine guns at them. They're terrified. They'd like to run, but it's too late. They're brought into the house. They meet Simeon. And it says, the men were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought we were brought here because of the silver that was put back in our sacks. The first time he wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. So they said to Joseph's steward, please, sir, they said, we came down here the first time to buy food. But at the place where we stopped for the next night, we opened our sacks and each of us found his silver. It's all right, he said, don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he took them into the house. He gave them water to wash and cleanse themselves. They arrayed their gifts to give to Joseph. Joseph came home. They presented him the gifts. They bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were. How's your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? 
They replied, your father, your, your servant, our father is still alive and well. And they bowed down to pay him honor. That's twice on their faces. He looked around and he saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son. And he said, is this your brother, your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God, be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and he wept there. And after he'd washed his face, he came out controlling himself and he said, serve the food. They served him by himself, the brothers by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews. Really, they could not eat with shepherds. The ruler of Egypt at that time and the people treated shepherds as dirty, despicable. You say, why? Well, because when you work with sheep, you stink. Sheep stink and you can't get the sheep smell out of your clothes. There was no question these men were shepherds. They stunk like sheep. Do you stink? Do you know there's uncleanness? Is there uncleanness in your life? I'm going to tell you a a very dear secret. God loves stinky people. I know you each carefully put on your underarm deodorant today. You're still stinky. And by the grace of God, he's scrubbing us. He's washing us. He's cleansing us. He's restoring us. God does not cast off stinky people. God finally cast off the Egyptians and drowned them with all their sophistication and all of their education. He saved his people. They noticed, Benjamin noticed when they served the food, they had seated each of the brothers in their birth order. And they said, how did he know our birth order? He served Benjamin five times as much food as he served the others. He is going to do everything he can now to see if there is any jealousy left in the brothers' hearts. He's going to test them to see who they are. God wants to expose everything that's in our hearts. He wants us to have to face ourselves and the reality of our own lies. He wants to do that before we've gone very much further down the road of our life because it's his intention to bring forth something beautiful from his church. So I pray this week God will bring about such events in your life that any Refuge of lies will be exposed and that you will rise up in absolute faith and confidence knowing that Jesus has a plan and he's bringing that plan to life for you in his church. Nothing stays the same. Everything changes constantly. You're upset with what's happening now. It's like my dad used to say when we would complain. Oh, it's raining. He would say, Raymond, don't worry. The sun will be out soon. Nothing stays the same. 
Because Jesus has us in a process of movement toward heaven. And if we will simply begin to cooperate with God in what he's trying to accomplish in this grand scheme that he has so gloriously put together. Paul called it the mystery of the gospel that had never been known before Jesus came and died on the cross. This mystery of the gospel is that God intended to take the Gentiles and the Jewish people and form them together as one body that would be his people, his body. That he would inhabit, he would dwell in. He would order their steps and he would bring them through to a glorious new world where Satan would no longer have any power or any authority. So what I'm praying you understand out of today's message is that there is a progressive movement of God that is taking place. And he had to create a sterile environment for this this family. And he's brought about circumstances that we'll talk about later to force them to go into that womb called Egypt. And the gestation period was 400 years because he was birthing his people. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus walked on this earth. And we are in the womb. And there will be a great day of birthing. It's taken 2,000 years because now it's not 70 people. Now it's millions of people. He is birthing his family, his bride. So this week, take your eyes off your circumstances. Look up. Trust in the name of the Lord. Trust that he knows exactly what he's doing with your life. He always works out everything in the most minute way. He's working on the grand scale of the everlasting covenant. But he's also working in how you feel when you get up tomorrow morning. And calling you to give up any bitterness or any anger, any discouragement. He's breathing into you to make you alive and strong. He wants to prosper you, not harm you. Don't be impatient with him. Don't grumble against him. Trust that he knows what he's doing with your life. Because the birthday is coming. I know I've read the end of the book. Jesus is coming again. To receive a people unto himself. Let's pray. You are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And you sit high and lifted up. And nothing is too hard for you. Lord, have your way. Lord, I worship you. We worship you. Lord, I don't care today what it looks like in the physical realm. I am not going to believe the lies of the physical realm. I am going to believe your word and what you have spoken to me through your scriptures. And what you have whispered into my heart by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I stand by faith that you know what you're doing. 
And Lord, I praise you and I worship you. I honor you. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen.
Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, P.O. Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. With great joy Now unto Him who is able To keep you from falling And to present you blameless Before the presence of His glory With great joy Jesus Christ alone.